this is Bill Obers Jr. from Take This Lollipop and A Million Horror Movies. Don't be scared. You're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at GetDeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. What kind of a sick school is this? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to smell a great pump in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I've got a crap on your deck that can choke a donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to another great episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am Rigor. And I am Chris Osper. And Then Is Now is the show in which we discuss pop culture of the past and how it relates today, as well as helping people introduce younger folk to all the cool stuff that they may have missed out on. Now, we're changing up the format a bit here, which means you're going to get not only more great interviews and content, but also some great pop culture conversation between me and Chris. So, as always, class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo-hoo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. 
Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell oh, ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! Go! Play and have fun now! Okay, so Chris, uh, you've got a lot going on in your work life and, and other stuff. Can you tell us about what you got going on? Sure. So uh, so for one, uh, I have a short film that I uh, have been sort of starting to put on the festival circuit called Undertaker. Uh, it was a script written by Chris Salvi, whom you know, uh, uh, you've interviewed. You've been to his uh, screening, which is a fun day. Uh, he had written the script. I directed it, so I had the chance to... Uh, make that that film is now making its way to the festival circuit um and uh so far the reviews have been very good um which has been great and um you know i have some like little side things i'm doing i'm trying to i should really shouldn't even call this a side thing but i'm trying to write a feature film you know trying to get a feature film off the ground that's like you know the ultimate goal for any director so uh yeah it's kind of what i've been working on and as well as just trying to get uh, another short project off the ground. I have a couple of documentaries in the works, including one about um, video stores. Uh, it's something that's very nostalgic for me. So, yeah, there's always something different that's going on in the works. And, you know, plus this stuff with Then Is Now, which is always a blast. And then, uh, um, you know, trying to uh, tr- try to work the day job and live a life, you know. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. So with the script that you're writing, this feature, is this something you're going to try and shop around to Hollywood, or are you going to try and get financing on your own? You know, it's and get it made? you know, it's so it's interesting because it, because those that aren't really in the know of the business, the first thing they'll say is like, "Oh, I'm going to shop around to Hollywood." I mean, you know, that's I say, dream big, you know, go for it. But uh, I know realistically, me not being a named director. Uh, it's going to be like near impossible. So my hope is to make it independently with a independent crew and, you know, maybe some local cast and then try to uh, use that as a stepping ground to hopefully make something bigger that could be a uh, um, that could be the next step, whether it's Hollywood or uh, or, you know, sort of like a mid-level production or something else. So whatever that next step is, you know, I always try to look for that next step. But uh, I think uh I think I think for a first-time director making uh, their first feature, I think every director should embrace uh, their independence uh, because that uh, you know if, if because if they do make it, that independence is going to be very short-lived. It's sort of a cautionary tale, I would say. You know where <laughs> it's true. I mean, you know, you hear about yeah. you hear about directors who lose control, and you know, therefore, you know, therefore, sort of rose the idea of a director's cut, which was the actual director's vision. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, you know, if if Hollywood came knocking on my door, you know, I would take it. But I mean, I guess for me, it's never really the end all, be all. You know, there's always uh, for for me, it's always about the story, and it's always about uh, you know what I'm passionate about saying in that story in the moment. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, wherever it takes me, uh, as I as I you know as as I always say, so. Awesome, awesome. And you know, there's like, as you know, you, I'm sure you know this. There's a couple of good films out there, um, like for example, Evil Dead, and The Stuff. Mm-hmm. And they both started off as a short film, 
Yes. And kind of got chopped around to financiers, and they got the money and made them both into features. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, uh, of course you hear about the classic stories of, like, guys like Quentin Tarantino or Kevin Smith, who the same year in, 19, in like, the early 90s, like probably 94 or something like that, or maybe, no, a little bit sooner than that, maybe 92, 94, something like that, uh, you know, Kevin Smith had Clerks in 1994. Uh, Tarantino yeah. had Reservoir Dogs uh, in 92. And both of them went to Sundance. Both of them became huge hits and uh, uh, th- then garnered um, studio pictures that they would eventually do. So, I mean, those days are kind of over. But, I mean, it's still good to remind yourself that it's always possible. It's not impossible. It's just we're in such a different climate now than we were 30 years ago. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you have now various streaming services. I mean, not just Netflix and Prime, but a whole bunch of them that are, are you know, financing movies and looking for content. Oh, so, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the door is open now, I think, even more so than it was back in the 90s. Without a doubt. And the same could be said for actually being able to make movies uh, because, uh, you know, with, with uh, digital technology being so readily available for such a low cost uh, i mean a movie camera is based uh, there's a movie camera that basically lives in your pocket you know with the iphone or yeah you know and uh, i was just doing a little audition video for a friend of mine yesterday and uh we were looking at the footage from my phone and we were just like amazed that we were just like wow this this looks like a uh, uh um this looks like it could be a movie the way <laughs> the way it uh yeah the way the way it looked and it's like wow it's like how did we get so far <laughs> And, you know, I know. And like, here I am buying, you know, thousands of dollars of film and video equipment. I'm like, I'm like, why do I have all this? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I know. I still have my uh, my um, digital video camera with the tapes, the digital tapes. The small oh, ones. yeah, yeah. Yeah. The mini DV. Mini DV. Yeah. And I started. That's what I started shooting with when I was uh, going to school for this. Where we started with mini DV and then we trans- before we transitioned to SD cards and uh, fully digital. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. I don't know. There's something tangible about tape that you can't really get with it. Same with film. There's something kind of tangible right. about it. I mean, tape never really looked good, but I think it's the uh, tangibility of it, and there's a certain nostalgia factor to it that is just sort of nice to look at. And um, I suppose the same with film. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, of course, film looks better than video, but uh, but I mean, still, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I am... I, um... One thing I like about having the mini DV camera still is I have this um, teleprompter that I got for real, real low money. And it, you know, just attaches to the front and you basically, your phone is the prompter and you put the text into this app and you can adjust the speed. And that's how there's a couple of videos, if you recall, on the website on the, um, I think I did Scary Stories, which I may start up again soon. And I just used, uh, not that one, I'm sorry. I did a couple of reviews for Cinema Enigmatico and... I just used the teleprompter on that with the DV tape and was able to edit off that. And the quality wasn't the greatest, but that was because the lighting wasn't the greatest. Right. You know, but it's still, you know, really good quality. And I think by the time people hear this episode, uh, I will have already released the um, the video that I shot at Rhode Island Comic Con last weekend. Oh, yeah. And I'm putting that together. And I, I shot all that on my phone, and it looks really nice, like you said. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing how good the phones look. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I got to go to Rhode Island Comic Con. It looked, it looked like you had a blast. Oh yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was great because my wife got to meet uh, 
um, see Thomas Howell. Really? And she she could wow. barely utter words when we first <laughs> went up to him. <laughs> she was like her teen, you know, teen crush. Yeah. She had posters of him all over her right, wall when right. she was 13. You know. uh, so I think she was 13 when The Outsiders came out. We were 13. So. Right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, was there anyone you got to meet that you were, like, excited to meet? Um, yeah, you know, for me personally, and no offense against the conventions and stuff, there's very few people that I would pay a lot of money to get their autograph right. and or get a picture with them. Uh, I, I won't say who it was right now because it's not Christmas yet, but I right. got an autograph from uh, a, a star, not a major star, but a minor star for my son for Christmas. Oh, and wow. I'll reveal that after uh, the new year. Yeah. Um, yeah, who did? Oh, you know who I got to meet actually in the hallway was Tony Todd. We had seen him the night before. He he was at a, um you know he did a uh, not a lecture but uh a panel yeah where it was him and this lady interviewing him and then he took questions from the audience. He was awesome and we just happened to bump into him the next morning in in the hallway coming out of the elevator and I was like oh hey Mr Todd and he was like the <laughs> nicest guy in the world you know that's awesome that's <laughs> awesome yeah I think the last Comic Con I went to I want to say was. Oh, maybe 20, I think 2017 or 2018. There were a lot of people there that year. Like, I remember meeting, uh, um, I remember meeting Tony Danza uh, there. And that was, yep. that was really cool. I mean, he was a super, nice. he was a nice guy. And, uh, you know, of course, I had to ask him about Taxi. I mean, that's like one of my yeah. favorite shows. And, <laughs> and, and, oh, yeah. and I had to ask about Andy Kaufman. I was like, I was like, dude, you got to tell me about Andy. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> That's and, awesome. and, you know, the first thing he says is like, yeah, Andy, uh, he didn't know what to say. He's, I mean, how do you describe Andy? You really, you can't, you can't describe Andy Kaufman. <laughs> so, right, right. um, but, um, yeah, I hadn't met him. And I think that year is when I also met Carol Spinney who played, um, you know, Big Bird and Oscar on. Oh, nice. Sesame yeah, Street. yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was like maybe two years before he passed. And like, you know, you could tell that he was like, like, he was getting up there, you know, so it was it was kind of sad to see, but at the same time, it was so surreal to see this, you yeah, know, you know, the see this icon that you really, you know, someone that that everyone has grown, every person on the universe in the last fifty years grew up with. It's incredible. Oh yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I, I the last Comic Con I went to actually was the New York Comic Con back in twenty eleven, um, but prior to that, in that same year, I went to the uh, the. Um, the Horrorhound Convention in Indianapolis, and I got to meet Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah, and that was a huge thrill for me. My, I was funny. I kind of did the same thing my wife did when she met T. Thomas Howells. My friend had to sort of just pull me by the hand mm -hmm. up to him and introduce me to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man, it was wasn't so funny. Um, you know what was cool? Well, go ahead. Uh, uh, I was going to ask, wasn't uh, Lou Ferrigno also there this year? He was, he yeah. was. I uh, his line was pretty long. I didn't get a chance to go up to him. I see. I feel bad because if I don't want to pay for their autograph, I feel bad going up and just talking to them and yeah. then walking away. I I did that at a rock and shock convention in Worcester a few years back, and I you know I talked to William Cat and I talked to um the guy that played Tommy Jarvis in Friday Thirteenth Part Six, yeah. and um I just. I, you could tell, like, almost in their eyes, they're like, aren't you going to buy anything? Yeah. <laughs> I, re I remember one year I was waiting online line to see, I can't remember who it was now, but I was waiting online line to see some particular star, and the next table over, there was somebody else, I and I, I want to say he was from, mm, I want to say he was from Battlestar Galactica or something like that, I can't remember now, but anyway, hmm. I'm standing in line, there's this table that's next to me, 
that no one is visiting. It's just an empty table. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, obviously the celebrity is there, but uh, but yeah. but like nobody was in line. Just empty line, nothing. So I'm waiting in line, and the woman running running this guy's table, volunteering, turns to me and she goes, "Hey, do you want a picture and autograph?" I'm like, I'm, and like I felt terrible saying no, thank you, but like I didn't know who the hell this guy was. It was just, <laughs> it was so awkward. <laughs> That's wicked funny. Yeah. I'm just like, no, no, thanks. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like I gotta. I'm gonna get back into the convention circuit again. I I feel like the comic cons are a little more, um, like they got all these rules. Like you can't take pictures, you can't do yeah. this, you can't do that, and all that stuff. And it's like I like the 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 um. I don't know what the word is for it, but the less attended, I guess, the smaller yes. conventions is probably the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for, because they're more intimate. And like when I met Joe Bob Briggs, you could just walk right up to him and talk to him. It did, you didn't have to buy something from right. him or feel bad that you didn't, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know who else was like that? Oddly enough, was uh, Paul Rubens uh, when he had a table at Rhode Island Comic Con one year. He was like, he was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, no, don't worry about it. Like he he would he would go out of his way into the line to say hello to people and shake hands. It was really nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, it was cool too. Well, I'll say one last thing about the Rhode Island Comic Con. And by the way, folks, if you hadn't had a chance, we have some special stuff that we can't um, we can't put out publicly, but it's on our Patreon. So don't forget to go to patreon.com slash then is now podcast, and you'll get some extra cool, fun stuff that happened at Rhode Island Comic Con. But when we talked to C. Thomas Howell, I, like my wife knew him right from The Outsiders, so like his first movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really know who he was until he was in The Hitcher. So I told him that, and he started telling us what a difficult shoot it was. I thought it was really, really intriguing. Yeah. So we got to get him on the show, man. He seemed real personable. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of uh, I feel like a lot of people that you meet at these conventions they usually like when you bring up something that not everyone else is going to bring up, like not the same exact thing, but something that's like outside the realm. Of what they're used to hearing about, it's interesting how much they appreciate that. I remember, uh, I think so. So the one of one of the years I went to Red Island Comic Con, I met uh, a, a guy by the name of Tim Rose, and uh, Tim Rose is a puppeteer. Uh, he uh, he did a lot. He did a lot of the creatures in Return of the Jedi, and like uh, you know, uh, a couple of the other Star Wars movies. But the one movie I brought up to him because I loved as a kid was Return to Oz. No one else was coming. Oh yeah. No one else was coming up to him about that. He played uh, in that movie. He had operated uh, TikTok, the mechanical um, right. character. Uh, I guess sort of uh, equates to Tin Man, as it were. But anyway, so and that was a movie I watched over and over again as a kid. Uh, granted, I was terrified of it, as most kids were, because <laughs> that that was <laughs> when you compare it to the original Wizard of Oz, it's not the same movie whatsoever. <laughs> And, uh, right. <laughs> but anyway, so I went up, I went up to him and, you know, I have, and here I am with my DVD of Return to Oz and he looks at me, he just goes, and like, he like looked at me with like big eyes and was like, you're the only person that's come up to me about this. I'm like, and like, like, and, and like he's saying it in a good way. Cause everyone has come up about Star Wars and about some of the obvious ones. So he was really happy to see someone actually love Return to Oz. I was like, that's awesome. That's, that's great. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing is, you know. There's certain, like we had that with D. Wallace where yes. everyone's asked her about E.T. and the howling, mm-hmm. but you asked her about Invisible, Invisible. Mom, you know, that was so cool. <laughs> probably probably not her most proudest moment in her filmography, but I mean, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's refreshing for these actors, you know, something that they haven't been asked. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. 
There's a couple of cool ones coming up. Actually, my wife is the one that uh, pointed them out to me. There's a Terrificon is coming up in Connecticut uh, next July 29th to the 31st. Yeah. That's in uh, 2022. And actually, there's a couple of actors that I want to see there, one of which is a guy named Sean Kanan, who was on General Hospital and Bold and the Beautiful, and he's been on the show. Yeah. We interviewed him about his career and his book. Right. And so I'm dying to meet him in person. And then um, the other one is, oh, it's the Connecticut Horror Fest, which is, uh, oh, yeah. I can't tell if it's September or December. It's cut off here, but it's coming up on my computer. But um, that looks good. I, I'm really dying to get to a horror convention again because those yeah. are fun. Yeah, for those sure. Those are more intimate, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, September 16th to the 17th of 2022. Mm. That's so, awesome. And that's only two days, so yeah. that's probably going to be real intimate. So Yeah. Oh, man, I love stuff like that. Um, so, uh, just want to let the folks know, you know, we talk about pop culture here and obviously the conversation we just had about conventions, uh, factors into that. So Chris and I are going to just start from now on with the episodes and see how it works out. We're just going to start talking about pop culture and stuff at first, like we're doing today. And then we're going to get to an interview that we may have done. Uh, today it's a, a retrospect on the actor named William Wyndham. And we'll introduce that in a little bit. But Chris and I are going to just start going over stuff because, like, I want to know, you know, what movies have you seen lately, Chris, or whether it's on TV or in the theater or whatever? Sure. Um, well, I just uh, caught, um, I mean, the most recent thing was, like, I, I finally I got to see, uh, unfortunately, not in the theater like I wanted to, but I saw it on demand. I saw Rocky vs. Drago, the new director's cut of Rocky IV. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so that was really cool because Stallone... Stallone, apparently, at the start of the pandemic, he had nothing to do. A movie he was on uh, had to stop shooting, obviously. So then he went ahead and he just, uh, he went back and he, and he, and he was thinking, okay, uh, what of my move, which one of my movies could I sort of go back, recut, re-edit, you know, whatever, present a new version of my vision? Yeah. And Rocky IV was his choice. And I could sort of understand why that is. I mean... A, it was the most popular of the series. Uh, it, it like it, it's the number one grossing one of the series, I, I think, uh, or at least it was. I think you're right. I think yeah. it was for a long time. It made like 127 million, and then this is 1985 money, mind you. Uh, right. So, uh, so he, so he, um, he went back and he recut the entire movie head to toe. I mean, got rid of like scenes with like with like Polly's birthday with the robot, which was ridiculous in the first place. <laughs> and uh, oh wow, yeah, got rid of that. Added 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 forty minutes of new footage, including uh, several scenes that were not seen in the, in the original cut. So it, this cut is actually more about Apollo prior to spoiler alert. I'm sure, but I'm sure everyone's seen Rocky Four by now, <laughs> right? Spo uh, everything. It, there are more scenes with Apollo prior to his death that make it more humanistic. It's more about Apollo, about legacy. So it really ties in nice with the rest of the series, while also tying in with this new Creed series that Michael B. Jordan is in. Uh, so I, you know, I thought it was excellent because it took some, it took what I thought was, and I'm a big Rocky fan, but I always thought part, yeah. I always thought part four was the weakest, not because it's a bad movie, but because it made it a cartoon. The first one is like this gritty down to earth, you know, story and reality about this down and out fighter uh, in the streets of Philadelphia, you know, two still, right. still two part two still retain that three is starting to get a little bit wonky with Mr. T and with, uh, <laughs> you know, Hulk Hogan, but it still had some of that in there. Part four, it just went out the window and it became this, uh, this weird, 
uh, 80s cartoon with like Rocky's like a superhero fighter and you know fighting a superhero villain <laughs> so yeah fighting the communists exactly you know? <laughs> yeah so it took up the humanity but this cut retains it not only with Apollo with Rocky and also it humanizes Ivan Drago uh, a lot more so I thought it was a very very good cut so I, I was impressed that's awesome I didn't even know they did that that's so cool I obviously Stallone directed that right yeah and uh, there's a yeah. there's a great documentary on YouTube of him actually going back and working the editing and like working with his editor showing his process and like you know him stressing over every friggin shot like he he's like he's <laughs> he's sitting there watching the footage and he's like squeezing like a clamp as a stress reliever I'm like I'm like slide calm down <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it was great though, and you know it's funny him reflecting on on the pro, on making movies and how he's grown as a filmmaker and how how he's learned to do things differently than when he made that movie thirty five years ago. So you, right. so you could tell he's very reflective on the process, and he says something very interesting where he says something that's like kind of poetic in a weird way, where he says something to the effect of. You know, when, uh, he goes, you know, he goes, you know, re-editing this movie, uh, you know, like imagine if you could go back and re-edit your life, you know, where you could go back yeah. and, where you could go back <laughs> and take out that thing that you never wanted to happen. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I mean, that's like, it's so true though. That's awesome. I got to see that. I, like I said, I had no idea. Yeah. Did, that, did that get a theatrical release at all? It got a, it got a one day theatrical release, uh, re- theatrical release through Phantom Events. It was like a one day screening on November 11th and then went straight to on demand so now it's like on Amazon Prime and Tubi uh things oh, wow. yeah yeah it's real it's really good i was i was impressed oh i'm adding that to my list i got to definitely check that out cuz i do love the rocky movies i think rocky 5 is the weakest of them all i think it's yeah. an awful film oh yeah um, yeah many many would agree with you and it's it's, it's easy to see. Yeah. it's easy to see why it, it is one of the weaker <laughs> ones i agree yeah, I, although I, I, in all fairness, I will probably go back and revisit it just to see if my opinion holds up yeah. or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I always liked, I liked Rocky 1 through 4. I, I agree, though, like, they got weirder and, and more cartoonish as they went on. Um, I did like the other sequels, though, Rocky Balboa. Yes. Um, yep. And then what was it, after that was Creed 1 and 2? Creed 1 and 2, yep. And then there's supposed to be, yep. there's supposed to be a third one, uh... I don't think Rocky's actually in going to be in three though. Um, not sure why, but nonetheless, uh, mm. and Michael B. Jordan's directing, so that that's that's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, cool! Yeah. yeah, I just saw a video recently where Stallone was showing us some behind the scenes on a fight scene from the new Expendables movie. Oh, really? And yeah, wow. it was great. And he was going around showing how how they were going to film it and how all the. Um, all the steps they were taking for safety yep. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, that was really good. If you get a chance, I think it's on YouTube. I, I forget specifically uh, what, yeah. the, what it was called. but I think he's coming back with another with another Expendables from what I heard. So that, that... Yeah, that, that's what it's from. Oh, okay. It's from the oh, new okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So um, I, I got a chance. Now I'm trying to remember what movie we saw in the theater. My wife and I went to see a movie in the theater and then we came home, and we still wanted to watch another one, so we watched Malignant. Have you seen that one yet? No, I haven't seen that one yet. I heard about it. Oh, yeah. Dude. The, uh, James Wan directed that. Yeah. And it, I'm not going to tell you anything about it, except for the fact that the first two-thirds is ni- a, a nice, slow burn build-up, and the last third is batshit crazy. Oh, really? And I fucking love batshit crazy movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I did not see it coming. I know there are some people who said, oh, I saw that coming, but I still loved it. But yep. um, yeah, I highly recommend that. That's awesome. Uh, we did get a chance to see Halloween Kills in the theater. That was so was good. Was it? Yeah. I got yeah. I I have to catch up on that, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple others out there that I haven't seen yet. I haven't had a chance to see the new Bond film, No Time to Die. Yeah, I haven't either. I, and, I still have to, and, you know, and I still have to see the new Ghostbusters. That's tomorrow. Yes, yeah, that's tomorrow. I think I'm going next weekend. My son's coming up for the weekend, so nice. we're going to go and nice. see that. We, we may try and go time it right and go see that and then sneak into No Time to Die afterwards if we have time. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. It's always great when you can do the double feature. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Yep. did that one time when I was... I guess Cuffs came out in the 90s with, with Christian Slater, right? Uh, which one? Cuffs. Yes. Yep. Okay, so I was with some friends. I guess we were in our 20s, and uh, we went and saw a movie, and it was like 11 o'clock at night, and we are like, hey, Cuffs is just starting. So we just slipped in and watched that movie. <laughs> it, it must have been because we were tired, but we laughed so hard from beginning to end. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I've been binging on a bunch of... Ever since we started doing the um, the uh, October uh, shows, I was binging on just I've been looking for gory, scary '70s horror films. And um, one of the things, uh, as you know, and maybe the audience knows too, um, on Facebook I have a page called Retro TV Guide Scans yes. and uh, Vintage Newspaper Ads. Mm -hmm. And I was like deep in that. If you haven't had a chance, folks, check it out because for the month of October, I went back to. October of 1970, and I found as many cool, uh, not only movie ads, but um, ads for Halloween stuff, ads for parties, articles about Halloween, just all kinds of stuff. And so I, every day I posted like, I, I don't know, anywhere from 12 to 20 of them. And, you know, I really love doing that. And more and more lately, I, I've been getting into digging deeper into these things. And there's different topics I'll, I'll, I'll mention later on in the show. But um, I keep finding movies that I've never heard of. And my parents took me to every friggin' movie, whether it was rated R or not. We saw almost everything, and I'm going, why didn't I see that movie? Why Why did I not? I saw that, 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 that. Why did I not see that one? Yeah. So part of it was probably it didn't play in the area because mm -hmm. I grew up north of Boston, and not everything plays everywhere. Right. Sometimes they're, they're re-released with a different name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just been going through it. And Tubi, you mentioned Tubi. Tubi is awesome. They have so many obscure 70s yes. horror films that it, it's like a gold mine. So I saw, like, I watched um, one called Beyond the Darkness, mm -hmm. which I don't know if I would recommend that to a lot of people. That I felt like I had to go and boil myself after that movie because <laughs> it was just, what was going on? This, this dude, he, like, taxidermies his dead girlfriend and keeps her in the bed. Oh, man. It just gets creepier wow. and weirder. Um, I saw one... Uh, <laughs> I had I've already seen like Blackula and um, Scream Blackula Scream, and I was looking for another black exploitation horror film. I was almost going to watch Abby, which is sort of a black exploitation ripoff of The Exorcist, and so it's actually on YouTube right now. Yep. But I decided to watch Voodoo Black Exorcist. Nice, and that's a bizarre movie. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't tell you if I liked it or not. <laughs> Oh, man. I watched uh, Beyond the Living Dead, which I didn't realize going into it. It was a Paul Nashy film, even though he only had a small part oh, wow. in that. Um, you and I, when we talked uh, last with Scott Bradley, I mentioned uh, Shivers, the Cronenberg um, film. Yes. I saw that. Yeah, and um, I highly recommend... Oh, it's an awesome Yeah, yeah, one. it yeah. is an awesome uh, Which, oddly enough, ha does have a different title, I think, in another part of the world. I want to say, I think in Canada, it's called, like, 
I forget what it's called in Canada. It has like some like weird title. Oh, weird. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to look that one up. And, and, and I think Shivers is the one that Ivan Reitman produced with Cronenberg. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it is. Nice. Yeah, I remember seeing his name going. It could, because I think there's a reference to Cannibal Girls in that movie. Too. Yes. Yep. So, but uh, Chris, there's definitely, the, and, and fans out there too, if you love horror films and if you love Lucio Fulci films, there's a documentary on Tubi called Fulci for Fake. Mm-hmm which is, it's just a, a retrospect of his life and the kind of guy he was. And they interview, like, his daughter and all these people that worked with him. And it's just, it's great getting into the mind of such a uh, an offbeat director like him, you know? Right. That's awesome. Yeah. He's done a lot of, of weird gore hit films. He's done a few giallos. I think Cat of Nine Tales. And, um... You know, of course, uh, the the film uh, that we covered of his recently was Zombie Two, and uh, there's just so many: The City of the Living Dead, yeah. um, uh, the the Beyond, uh, just so many of them. Which I saw that that was released uh, over here as Seven Doors of Death, yeah. And um, uh, they've re—I don't know if they recut it or whatever, but uh, uh, the official version came out probably back in the late '90s. Uh, which is called The Beyond, is the original title. Mm. And they restored it to what it was supposed to be. And if you ever get a chance to see that movie, that's freaking scary. I still get scared. Yeah, I gotta check that out. And then isn't Zombie 2 called just Zombie in America? Yes, because uh, Dawn of the Dead, when it was released in Europe, it was called Zombie. Oh, I see. Yeah, and that's right. Fulci was, yeah, and he was just going to make a movie, and it was a horror movie, and I guess it was going to be a zombie movie. And then the producers saw how much money Dawn of the Dead made, so they decided to call it Zombie 2 and <laughs> try and s- squeeze it in. And if you watch it, especially like the beginning and end sequence that they shot in New York, it could very well be taking place at the same time as the beginning of Dawn of the Dead. Right, right. Well, it's interesting because, from what I understand, that series led to a series of confusion because the numbers kept going up in America, but it was always like the title was always one number behind for the sequels, in Europe, it's like, right? So, like, so, like, Zombie Three, you know, uh, so Zombie Three over there was Zombie Two for us, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, you kind of love the Italians. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to mention too. We had a guest on the show a while back named Bill Van Ryn, and he publishes a fanzine called Drive-In Asylum, and it's basically he's got the same interests as I do. He goes and finds old movie ads about. Um, horror movies in the newspaper. Now, let me just step back a bit here and say, folks, if you don't know what we're talking about when we say movie ads, it used to be when movies came out, the way you found out where and when they were playing is you got the newspaper, whatever your local newspaper was. And they would have all these amazing posters, for lack of a better term. I mean, they'd be small because you had to squeeze them into a newspaper, Mm -hmm. but it was the poster art for the film. And if you go back, and that's a lost art. I think, again, you and I kind of touched on that, Chris. Yeah, recently. I mean, even like, even just the, again, it goes back to tangibility, the idea of like opening the paper, looking at the movie times and the movie listings, there's something that's like really nostalgic about that. And uh, I, I, and I can't really describe what it is, because I mean, you know, we could just look it up on our phones, it's the same thing. But I don't know, in combination with the black and white print, along with the, uh, the, along with the poster art, as you said, uh, I don't know. There's something that's just kind of nice about about that visual. I liken it to like um, when it, it's the tactile thing. It's like yes. when you when you hold a book in your hand rather than reading it Absolutely. on a Kindle. Absolutely. Yep. Or you buy a record 
You know, it, you, you're holding it in your hand. You turn it around. You can read the liner notes in the back. Yep. You know, CDs had those, but you needed a microscope to read the prints. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyways, uh, Bill also does a show. Um, he's got a, if you look up on Facebook, folks, it's called Groovy Doom. So look up Groovy Doom on Facebook. And every Saturday night, he does this thing um, where him and a guest will talk. It's a live video. They'll talk about a movie they're about to watch. It's, this is usually 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. And then everyone goes away. They shut the video off and goes away and watches the film. And then um, Bill and the guest will come back. They'll talk for another 45 minutes to an hour about the second film. Or first of all, what they thought about the first film. They'll talk about the second film. He also mixes drinks and stuff. Um, and then you watch the second movie. Everyone goes away and does that. And then you come back for the wrap-up. Well, I had the good fortune to be on... Uh, I, I guess so the Comic-Con for us was two weeks ago, so this was this past Saturday, um, which the date escapes me at the moment. Today's the 17th, so 16, 15, 14, so the 13th. And um, uh, I got on with him. We talked for the first hour. We went and watched a movie called Raw Meat, which was also called Deathline with um, Donald Pleasance. And Chris, if you get a chance, that's on YouTube. Nice. Um, and then... The, we, we came back, we talked about that, then we talked about the second movie we were going to watch, which was uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman, which is a Paul Nashie film, and we went and watched that, and wouldn't you know it, I fell asleep through that movie, <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I didn't wake up till four in the morning, and the show had oh, already wow. been over. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I, I was just so embarrassed and humiliated, and I, I, you know, I posted an apology on his page, and I'm like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so the poor guy had to go it alone. I guess it was the first time he's ever actually uh, been alone and on uh, doing that show. So, if folks, if you get a chance though, go check it out, Groovy Doom. Uh, like I said, we did raw meat, and uh, he did <laughs> Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. So, uh, what about TV, Chris? What what TV have you been uh, watching? If you've had a chance, I know you're like super busy. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, um, uh, lately I've been catching up on the new season of the movies that made us on Netflix, uh, which is a really good show. Uh, they like if you ever if you never seen it, basically it's like it covers it takes like it's like a half hour show where it takes some some of the more well known movies of the 1980s or 1990s. Uh, it sort of covers the making of them with uh, the people that were involved. Uh, it's a very, I, I like to call it, it I've, so, I've sort of referred to it as like a very condensed DVD special feature, as it were, by me, but it's good. It's really good. Um, I think that the newest season did a lot of horror movies. Like it covered the original Halloween, and like, you know, it covered uh, um, uh, Robocop, uh, even, and Coming to America. Uh, and, uh, even they released a holiday one too, with like movies like Elf and, you know, things like that. So yeah, I've been watching a lot of that. That That's, that's a good show. That's awesome. You've mentioned that before and I've never seen it. Yeah. I have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah. Like, like I have all kinds of free time. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, it, you know, aside for that, I've been, I've been sort of re-binge, I've, I've been sort of like re-watching, uh, Seifeld and Kirby Enthusiasm. Uh, now, now the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm is out, uh, so I kind of like I rewatched the series before I went into the new season, and that show never disappoints. It's just hilarious. That's one I've never seen too. I, I know I have to check that yeah. out. 
It's, you know, you got to love Larry David. I mean, Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. Apparently, that's like a huge hit again for, is it Netflix, Netflix. or HBO that has yep. Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. So it's been nice to sort of go back and watch these because, uh, I mean, Seinfeld in particular, I, I wasn't like, I, I didn't grow up watching it. And like, it's something I, I went into really, really late. So this was like my first time seeing all the episodes uh, in their entirety. So, I mean, it was really. Some I've seen, others I hadn't, but I mean, the ones I have seen, you know, they made me laugh all over again. I mean, that, again, like Herbie Enthusiasm, never disappoints. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. When I was with my first wife, we were huge Seinfeld fans. At least I, I was a really huge Seinfeld fan. Yeah. She had a friend that was an even bigger Seinfeld oh, fan, really? and he held a party for the last episode. And um, so that was fun, just getting together with a bunch of people and watching it. It was, yeah, it was yeah. so good. That, that must have been... <laughs> I know for the hardcore Seinfeld fans, that must have been really disappointing, that finale. I thought it was a funny finale, personally. I, I liked it. I, yeah, some people were disappointed, at least in, in the place, the party that we were at. But you know what? I was talking to, a, a, at the time, I worked at a hardware store, and I was talking to the manager about it. And he goes, he goes, you know what? He goes, that ending was perfect. He goes, it showed what assholes they yeah. all are, and they got their <laughs> they just got desserts. They just desserts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how every every cameo person they all came back to be on trial. Right. I'm like, I'm like, that's great. I mean, you, I mean, you see the, uh, 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 you see the library police guy, which I'm like, oh my god. When I saw him walk in, I started laughing my ass off. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, it, there it is. <laughs> that's great. Oh my god! And I forgot to mention that now that you mentioned Seinfeld, the guy that played the soup Nazi was at the Rhode Island Comic. Was he really? Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And he had a big line, too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my God. I've been watching a lot of the usual standbys, trying to keep up on, on the regular shows. That's why every time someone says, oh, you got to watch the show, it's like, yeah, I, I watch a lot to begin with. Yeah. So, and it's hard enough to squeeze it in. But right. as you know, General Hospital's on five days a week. Mm. i got to watch that. My wife and I watch it every day. I've been watching that since 1981, man. And it is better than ever. It is wow. so awesome nice. what's going on right now. Uh, I won't go into details here, but also The Rookie. Have you ever watched The Rookie with Nathan Fillion? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. It's an awesome show. He's this dude. It's now in the fourth season, I believe, but he's this dude who's this 40-year-old guy that decides to change his career and become a police officer. And it's, it's in its beginning, it's quasi-based on a true story where there was a dude that was 40 years old and uh, became a police officer, and everyone thought he was going to fail. And they're like, oh, there's no way an old man is going to do it. And it's it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It's, you know, it's going to be difficult for you to unlearn your ways and all that stuff. Um, but first of all, even though I never watched Castle, <laughs> shame on <laughs> me. Shame. 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 I, I'm a huge Nathan Fillion fan, and um, I just love this show. He makes the show. Mm-hmm. He's so good, and it's just interesting, the progression. Now, he's no longer a rookie, but the show has other characters that are now rookies. And, uh, man, like the the most recent one, I was literally tense on the edge of my seat during the last sequence of the, this past episode, which would have been the, the 12th of November here in 2021, and it was, oh, my, it's so fucking good. Nice. Um, but I do watch all the superhero shows. Well, most of them. I don't watch Batwoman, but I watch Stargirl, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Titans, Doom Patrol. Which, by the way, Titans just wrapped on HBO Max, and I think Doom Patrol's got one or two episodes left. Those are awesome, nice. people. If, if you haven't seen them, the 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 CW shows are really good, and then the Titans and Doom Patrol are on HBO Max, and those are rated R. 
uh, superhero shows. Wow. And Doom Patrol is fucked up because it's it's almost exact to the comic, which I would have never believed they could have done that. If you ever read the comic back in the nineties, it's so trippy, and I, I couldn't tell you what it what what it's about. But <laughs> it's this basically this dysfunctional team. They don't really want to be called superheroes. Everybody's broken. There's something. Everybody's got some major issue. Like one of the characters is named Crazy Jane, and she's got. Something like 52 personalities, each with its own superpower. Wow, wow. Um, Robot Man is this dude who... It, it's actually played by Brendan Fraser. And he's by far one of the... Actually, they're all really great, but he's one of the best characters on the show. Yeah. And he's basically this brain in this robot body. And he's trying to deal with all that shit. And it, it's incredible. It's, it's well worth checking out. If you watch any of them, if you like something that's offbeat, Doom Patrol is really good. If you want just some really gritty superhero stuff that's rated R level, watch Titans because it's basically the Teen Titans grown up. Nice. Um, and then the last superhero show I'll mention was that The Flash mm-hmm. uh, just started the eighth season. We don't know if it's going to be the last. It may very well be. And I, it just started last night. I, I've watched the first 20 minutes so far, and I'm going to finish it after we do this recording. Um but that that show is really good too. And then um, there's a couple. We, my wife and I keep saying we have to catch up on. We have to catch up on the new Handmaid's Tale, and well, um, we need to finish uh, the second season of The Boys because the third one's coming out. Jensen Ackles gon- is going to be on mm-hmm. it. And there's one really good one on Hulu. Um, if you've ever had a chance to check it out, Chris, you you would really like this one. I, I think I mentioned it before. It's called Only Murders in the House. Oh, yeah. I think is the name yeah, of it. Yeah. It's with Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Martin Short and Selena Gomez. Oh wow! And yeah, they all live in this apartment building, and they all end up sort of bumping into each other and realizing that they are all into true crime and they all listen to the same podcast. And there's a murder in the apartment building, so they decide to create their own podcast to try and solve the murder. That's genius. <laughs> yeah, it's so good, and it's so good to see Steve Martin and Martin Short again. Yeah, you know? no kidding. I I saw them. I. I saw them do a show together live in Boston one year. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did like some like so, some like show where they did they show like retrospectives of like the movies that they've done and like you know telling jokes and doing songs together. It was it was incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah. I saw a couple guys a while back from uh, whose line is it anyway? Colin Mockery. Oh yeah, and yep. uh, one of the I think Brad Sherman was the other guy. Brad Sherman. Yeah, I saw them in. Like at the Lowell Auditorium, was it Lowell? Yeah, I think it was the Lowell Auditorium. Nice. Um, that was really funny. But that that I would love to see Steve Martin and they have Martin a spe- they have a special on Netflix of of just the two of them. I'll have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's really it's good. That's so cool. So we got some pop culture news coming up here. Um, do you want to tag team these ones? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So Spider Man Far From Home. Is coming in December, and it looks like it's gonna sort of be the lead-in to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. And uh, I don't know a lot. I tend to not watch trailers. Um, the only thing nugget, and, and if people want spoilers, then fast forward thirty seconds here. But um, the only thing I know from the trailer is that uh, Spider-Man, because his secret identity was revealed at the end of the last movie. He goes to Doctor Strange to have Doctor Strange basically wipe everybody's memory wow. about that happening. Huh. So beyond that, I know nothing about it. Although I did like there was some Doctor Strange uh, interaction in Shang- Shang-Chi 
Master of Kung Fu, mm-hmm. that new movie that came out. Or, no, it was Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So Nice. That's really cool. Um, and then we have the Harry Potter 20th, 20th anniversary reunion where uh, Radcliffe, Watson, uh, Grint uh, will join filmmaker Chris Columbus and other cast members from the eight Harry Potter films in the upcoming HBO Max anniversary special, Harry Potter, the 20th anniversary, Return to Hogwarts, premiering on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2022. Can't say I'm the biggest Harry Potter fan, but I mean, that's amazing, though, that it's gone this long. I remember seeing the first movie in theaters, um, and I think I owned it for a while, but I never like, really got into the books or really saw the other movies. I think I saw one and two. After that, I just kind of stopped caring. wasn't really my thing. <laughs> wasn't really my thing. I don't know. I mean, people love it, yeah. which is great. So, it's funny because the, when the first uh, two or three came out, I just was like same. I was like, I didn't care. I'm like, I didn't go see them. Yeah. I'm like, it was a kid thing or something. And a buddy of mine, who's a couple years older than me, actually, was like, No, dude, you gotta, you gotta see this. And I think it was around the time the fourth one was coming out. So, mm. he sat me down, and I think we at the time we rented the first three. And I was like, all right, I liked them. I liked them a lot. So yeah. we went and saw the fourth one, and that's actually my favorite now. Nice. Which is, uh, I think, third one's Prisoner of Azkaban. The fourth yep. one is Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, no, Goblet of Fire might be my f- not my favorite one. The one after that might be, I forget. Mm. But anyways, yes, Order of the Phoenix is the next one. That's yeah. my favorite. But um, I was hooked. And so after seeing the fourth movie, I went and I actually read all the books in a matter of, like, two or three months. Okay. And I was hooked. What I liked about them, and I'm not huge into, um, like, medieval type. Yeah. Like, I, even though I do play Dungeons & Dragons, I'm not super into that kind of, like, those kind of books or movies. Right. But this is not really that kind of thing. It's its own thing. And one thing I liked about the books was I was very surprised at how well J.K. Rowling, a female author, was able to get into the head of a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that really impressed me, and, and, and I was on edge through all the books. And I really, I think the movies, you know how it is. A movie, it's very difficult to truly translate a book into a movie. And I thought oh, yeah. what they did do was a great job. So Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's fair to say. I mean, I, I guess Harry Potter, along with, uh, it's one of those things, along with like Lord of the Rings, like you kind of have to be like into that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, granted, I do like Lord of the Rings quite a bit. Uh, like that movie I could watch. Uh, yes. You know, I, I guess for me, these types of fantasy movies and like, they're kind of an acquired taste for me. Like, you know, some, it depends on the movie. Like I, like I like Lord of the Rings. I like the Dark Crystal a lot. That's one of my favorites. Uh, you know, like Pan's Labyrinth is really good. Yeah. But Harry Potter liked it. Didn't like love it, but 20 years though. I mean, yeah. who could argue with that? I was going to say that. Oh, my God. I, when I looked at it, when we put it in the notes, I was like, oh, my God, 20 years ago? Yeah, that, that's that's crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. They're going to come I, out with their walkers I, and, I, and wands. Honest to God. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was I mean, I was a kid when the first movie came out. I was like 12 years old. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I was uh, 31. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, speaking of which, uh, this, if you ha- guys haven't had a chance to watch the video that I put together from the Rhode Island Comic Con, there's a dude who sells custom-made wands. That's awesome. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we've also got, we got a lot of good movies coming out, but mm-hmm. uh, Matrix Resurrections has a couple of new posters out, yep. and it's got some of the new characters on it, um, along with Neo and Trinity. I think... 
if I if I read this correctly in my research, uh, uh, Morpheus was killed off in one of the video games, and that's considered canon. Ah, okay. So there's a dude on the poster that kind of looks like him, so there's speculation, I guess, that he might be like Morpheus' son or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but it does have an R rating, which is good. Oh, that's good. So. That, that is good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, Hasbro and uh, LeVar Byrne are collaborating on a Trivial Pursuit ga- game show, which that's like the perfect match. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm convinced anything LeVar Byrne touches turns to gold. I mean, that man, oh, yeah. that man is just, is, I don't know, he, he's a treasure. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't he in the running to take over Jeopardy? Yes, I, and I thought he had gotten it, but I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly happened. But he would have been perfect for that. I mean, I mean, really. The... I thought he got it, too, but then I saw um, the, the chick from, um, what's her name, Mayim, Mayim Bialik? Oh, okay. Who was, she played Blossom, and she was also on um, Big Bang Theory. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't realize that. She's, in the, she's still campaigning to be the, Interesting. the, the, trivia, the, journey, the Jeopardy host. Wow. <laughs> No, but seriously, I mean, that anything that man touches turns to gold. I mean, from reading Rainbow to like, uh, he was—I mean, he was in Star Trek, as most people know. And then you know, he oh, yeah. yeah, and, and he was—he uh, also directed a Disney Channel movie, which has become like synonymous with Disney Channel movies. Uh, Smart House, uh, about a house that like comes to life or whatever. And like, it's like, like the late '90s. I mean, it's a little cheesy by today's standards, but I mean. I mean, he he started a generation of fans of those Disney Channel original movies where it's like, wow. So it's, you know, yes, I mean, talented man, very talented man. It's funny because a while back I interviewed um, this actress, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, who's on a show called Blue Sky, and she was in uh, a horror movie, was made for TV. I'm trying to remember the name of it now. I think it was called The Midnight Hour. Yeah. And LeVar Burton was in that, and that was like one of the first things he did, and he was practically a kid. Wow. And she talked about him, and uh, yeah, she said he was awesome even back then. That's you great. Know? I guess it wasn't his first thing, because he was in Roots long before that. Oh, okay. That, All right. Uh, which was a major uh, TV um, TV event movie kind of thing, where it was like multi-part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got, of course, I'm looking forward to, I don't know if you oh, are, yeah. Stranger Things Season yep, 4. Absolutely. Yeah. Cannot wait. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to wait a little longer. It's coming in summer of 2022. Ah, uh, sigh. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We got the first three to hold us over, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which, one of the panels that we went to at the Rhode Island Comic Con was the kid who plays Dustin. Oh, no kidding. Gate. Gaten something, yeah, I forget yeah, what his yeah. name is, but mm-hmm. yeah, he was awesome. He was so cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and that that yeah. that show almost always never disappoints. I mean, I remember when the first season came out. I can remember, uh, I, I I can remember I was working from home that day, and uh, I think I I think I I think I don't think I did a single bit of work that day. <laughs> I was glued to the television to. Yeah, like it just a whole day was wasted. It was like you know, you know, I, I see myself watching the first episode. Like, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning. I figured, oh yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, I'll kill an hour before I have to before <laughs> I have to start work. Next thing I know, it's five o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, oh my god, what the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd the day go? Where'd the day go? <laughs> I know. Which reminds me, um, there's another show. It's not as good, but it's sort of like. Um, I would call it Stranger Things Light mm-hmm. because it's very kid-friendly. Not that it's made for kids, but it's not as dark as Stranger Things. It's called uh, Lock and Key. Oh, I heard of that. 
which yeah, the little kid from that was also at the Comic Con. Oh, Jeez, everything, cool. all roads seem to lead back to the Rhode Island Comic Con. But yeah, um, that just restarted, got a new season already, and um, yeah. I recommend that if you get a chance to check that one out. It's it's a very unique idea, and I believe it's based on a comic book too. Nice. But the thing about Stranger Things that I love is that not only is the story great and the acting great and the cast is great, but they really capture the feel of the 80s. And it just yeah. sends me back to my teenage yeah. years, you know? Yeah, Well, even as someone that wasn't uh, really, that, that wasn't around in the 80s, like, I can still identify with that nostalgia. They're, you know, having grown up with a lot of the, a lot of the movies that this references, I could sort of identify with it. So it was like, it was really cool. Uh, yeah. you know, and, you know, again, going back to going back and again, another connection. Uh, I love that one episode where they're dressed up as Ghostbusters and now what, and now, yeah. and now one of the kids is in this new Ghostbusters movie. So it's like, it, that's right. Yeah, it's like, it's all coming together. Uh, and there is something sort of about the show that is very Ghostbusters esque along with Goonies, of course, everyone has, has said yep. Explorers and ET and, you know, so many others. Uh, so it, it, it's like, and it's and it's amazing because a network, a, a lot of the, all the networks, uh, all the television networks, they turned them down when they were pitching the show. Only Netflix wanted them, so they like they really Netflix really struck gold with it. Oh yeah, I, I can't believe networks turned it down. I'm glad they did because yeah. the networks I think got away with a lot more stuff than you probably could get away with on a network. Yeah, totally. You know, so I'm going to uh, speed things up a little bit here because I want to get to our interview that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a bunch of um, 4K Ultra HD versions, which, first of all, now, Chris, obviously, you work in film and video and that sort of thing. Is there really a need for 4K? <laughs> Do we really need to see every zit and pockmark on the actor's <laughs> face? Um, do you need to? No, but is it nice to see? Eh, it depends on what you're into. I mean, I, I, mean, I shoot in 4K a lot uh, when I do my things. So, I mean... Yeah. So, I mean, it's more of like a cinematography quality thing, but, I mean, in terms of, like, you know... But, I mean, 4K, I don't really have a problem with. It's what, it's what I'm seeing these days where, like, there are cameras now being introduced in the market that shoot 8K. Uh, so, oh, my God. Yeah, and then there's one that just came out from Black Magic that shoots 12K, which I think is absolutely ridiculous because... <laughs> oh, my God. Well, because well, the thing is, is, like... Because a buddy of mine, he was thinking about actually uh, putting a credit down on it and buying it. I'm like, dude, I'm like, dude, when are you, I'm like, when are you ever going to showcase a 12K image in a cinema or in, or on the television screen? We're not even there yet. It's like movie, right. movie theaters are still showing 2K and, tele- right. and televisions, depending on what you have, you could, I mean, you could get 4K on a 4K TV, but I mean, most people still have. HD TVs where they show 1080p television. So do you need it? No, not really, but it's more like a nice to have kind of thing. I don't know. So it's like, it's really interesting. Well, like a lot of these movies, all right, I'll give the exception to the list that we have here, or two exceptions Candyman, the new one from 2021, and a movie called Summer of 84, which just came out, I think, I think 2018. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, both, uh, well, I haven't seen Candyman, but uh, Summer of 84 is really good. But both are modern films. So that I can see. Yeah, that makes sense. But these older films, I think they're actually better seen. Like, if you watch uh, an ultra 4K version of Friday the 13th, Tom Savini's effects you can kind of see. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. you can see like the th- the thing around Kevin Bacon's throat before the knife comes through, so you know it's fake. Yes. It 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 pulls the um pulls the curtain away a little too much I, yeah, on certain yeah, older effects. I've heard that before too. That certain that like certain um because back then the way makeup was done, not even back then, I guess like makeup in general uh they 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 do it like in pieces and in like appliances so like there'll be times in the 4k image where you can actually see the break in the appliance like 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 in other words like like uh like say like the forehead piece you can see the line where the forehead piece stops in in that really crisp 4k image so yeah there's definitely disadvantages to that because it takes away some of the magic well, even something simple like wires. If wires are, are doing something, whether they're yeah. holding something or carrying something or whatever, and it, it, if the quality is a little bit less, it's hidden. But when it becomes Super 4K, it does what you just said about the makeup. You see the wires now. All I know. Well, I mean, and the amazing thing is, I mean, w- w- if they're doing these restorations, they could just easily clean that stuff up. I mean, if you see a wire, just y- you could digitally just paint that out. <laughs> so Right, yeah. right. So I'm just going to go through the list here real quick because the, there's a lot of old films here that are really good. I think I recommend pretty much all of them. There's, of course, Deep Red, mm-hmm. which is um, uh, that's a Lucio Fulci film, I believe. And then there's Six, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, another Fulci film. Cat or Nine Tails, same thing. Oh, actually, Bird with the Crystal Plumage might be Argento, right? I'm not sure, actually. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the audience is going to be sending us hate mail. Yeah, Send it I know, to right? Chris Asper. <laughs> no. Um, Tool, the original Toolbox Murders, which there was a remake, but I never saw it. Um, Halloween Kills. Now, that one I could totally get on 4K. Oh, sure. Uh, as we mentioned, Candyman and Summer of 84. Um, there's one called the Evil Dead Groovy Collection, Ooh. and it's got Evil Dead 1 and 2, which those really should be watched in a, a little bit of a lesser quality, mm-hmm. um, as well as the full series, all three seasons of Ash versus the Evil Dead. But I don't understand why Army of Darkness is not included Say what? in that. Do you think? It's got to be a rights issue. Really? It's got to be, because I yeah. think... Yeah. Was it, like, Universal or something, the Paramount that put that one that out? Could be the, so. That could be the issue, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think even, like, years back when they had, like, the uh, when they had like the Child's Play collection, uh, yeah. it, only, it only went up to a certain... A cer- it only went up to, like, a certain movie, then it stopped, because I think by the time Bride of Chucky came out or something like that... No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. So, uh, in one of the Chucky collections, they have two, three. They have two, three, and the rest of the series, except for one, because one was made by a different company. It's like, come on, that's the original. Right. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh man. The one that started it all. I know. I know. Um, another one coming up is Blood for Dracula, which is also known as Andy Warhol's Dracula. Yeah. That one's got Udo Kier in it. That's a really wacky movie. Mm. And then, of course, now, Chris, you and I are no strangers to the Universal Classic Monsters, and there's this one coming out called the Universal Classic Monsters Icons of Horror Collection. Uh, the only thing, and I did neglected to put this in the notes, the only thing I didn't really care about for this is that it's only got Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Invisible Man. It's like it doesn't have any of the sequels, any of the... I mean, unless they're planning on putting out another edition of icons of horror with the, you know the subsequent sequels maybe sure. they'll put out two or three more sure. get people to buy them but but we I highly recommend that people go out and check those out so um I was going to go into some upcoming stuff but I think we'll save that well I will mention one thing we've got 
Our next Patreon interview, I believe, is in your lap, right? The Our Ed Charlack interview? Yes. Yep. So, folks, that'll be coming out on Patreon. Um, so don't forget to go to, uh, to havenpodcasts.com. Check, click on our Patreon link and help support the show because it costs money, people, to put this show on the air. Um, and also our Tee Public, where you can get some cool swag, and uh, our Retro TV Guides page, um, which, has, like I said, has a lot of cool stuff. I got some new stuff I'm diving into, and I won't go into it now. I did promise at the beginning that I would, but you know what? We'll save it for next episode. So, uh, folks, we, well, I'm going to say this, and I, fe- I felt bad. I apologize to you, Chris, at the time, but uh, the scheduling didn't work out for you. Yeah. Um, I interviewed this lady, Jenna Frisbee, mm-hmm. and she's basically putting together a series of documentaries about this character actor named William Wyndham. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, folks, if you haven't, I'm sure you've seen him. If you've ever watched The Murder, She Wrote, he was in almost every episode of that. So we're going to play the interview right now, and then Chris and I will come back and wrap things up. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our Tee Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash havenpodcasts and patreon.com slash thenisnowpodcast. Enjoy! Folks, joining me today is a fascinating woman who is a lifelong TV fanatic that was also once a food scientist, massage therapist, and two-time Emmy-nominated Boston TV news producer. Aside from her family, martial arts, genealogy research, and many more hobbies, she's an avid fan of the late character actor William Wyndham, who was a paratrooper in World War II, a tournament-class chess player and a stage and screen actor with over 260 credits to his name. She not only runs his tribute website, but is also producing a series of documentaries about him. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the show, Jenna Frisbee. Hi, Roger. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. i got to say, just reading your bio on your website, we could do a whole show just about you and your life. It's so fascinating. (laughs) Thanks. So I know that you're a huge fan of classic TV like myself. What drew you to not only create a tribute site to William Wyndham, but also produce a series of documentaries about him? Well, you know, I grew up watching him in Murder, She Wrote, you know, in the 80s and early 90s. And then it was only about two years ago that and I just noticed some other shows he had been on. And I said, wow, he's done a lot of stuff. And then I started to, you know, do the research online and realized how many TV shows he was in, especially in the 1970s. And I just started doing that research and it just kind of blossomed from there. And did you ever get a chance to meet him? I never did. I wish I did. Yeah, that's too bad. 
Now, I referred to him as a character actor in my intro, but he was one of those rare exceptions, right? He wasn't just a journeyman actor, but he starred in quite a few things, like The Farmer's Daughter and My World and Welcome to It. So would you say he was both a star and a character actor? Yeah, you know, I, yeah, he, I think he, thought he hitched his wagon to a star with some of those series, like you said. And I think a lot of people refer to him as a character actor, but I think he was always very specific. He really got into the psyche of his characters. So instead of saying, oh, let's get um, an older man to play this particular role and let's get William Winderman, I think they did that, but he always gave it, the, the, the character, something unique to make it more than just, you know, someone on a, on a page for that particular series or that particular episode. Right, right. And it's, you know, it's really interesting because when I was um, doing my research and preparing for this episode, I, I had to keep reminding myself that I wasn't actually going to be talking to him because I wanted to ask questions like, for example, what was Angela Lansbury like? And, you know, that sort of thing. And, and your website is so uh, amazing because it's completely all-inclusive. How did you approach it? How did you uh, compile all the information that you have about his, his opinions and his, and his work and, and all that stuff? So I originally wanted to showcase his career based on the decades. So I did a lot of research and archiving and able to capture, you know, screenshots. And then I was able to just go through so many newspapers with interviews that he had done throughout the years and give little snippets about his personal life. And I said, oh, I've got to put this interesting section of facts and quotes in and this section about his filmography and about um, his work in radio and stage. And then it just kind of all came together. I'm still working on the page. So you, now you're putting together a documentary or a series of documentaries about him? Yes, yeah, small mini documentaries, again, probably based on the specific decade and what he was doing at that time. Okay. Where do you plan on releasing these? Are they just going to go to YouTube? Or are you looking at doing something on Netflix or, you know, streaming service? Right now, I'd, I'll probably keep it small and on YouTube and then maybe see if, if it gets any sort of interest and see if it, I can kind of um, explore it deeper. Okay. Because there's so much out there about them. Right, right. And so um, for, in order to put together the website and the documentary, did you have to get permission from his family in order to do that? Um, no, I, I didn't. It's, it's more dealing with, uh, copyright holdings for, you know, um, the videos and things like that and, and the films, but, um, no, really no permission from his relatives or his estate, anything like that. Okay. And so you were a TV producer in Boston, right? Just outside of Boston in, in Rhode Island, but we were part of the Boston news market. Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. Cause I grew up just North of Boston. Um, did you draw on whether it be experience and or like uh, connections that you had in the working in television to sort of help you guide this documentary? Um, not really. I've been out of the business for a while now, and I think I'm just using my experience working to put together an enjoyable documentary, but it's hard to make the connections now because it's been so long. Right, right, right. I could see that. You know, it's funny. I, I always thought of, um, as a kid, William Wyndham sort of reminded me as a cross between Kevin McCarthy and a, a young Raymond Burr, you know? 
Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and you know, it's just it's just amazing how all encompassing your, your website is. How um, how long did it take you to? Oh, you, you said it's still a work in progress, right? Yeah, pretty much. As I find new stuff, almost you know, every month or so. And how did do? I don't know if I already asked you this, but how long have you been working on it? Um, since yeah, since about March of twenty twenty. Wow. Okay, that's not bad. That's not too bad. So, um, tell us a little bit about William. You know, he was born in uh, nineteen twenty-three, and uh, give us a little bit of history on him. Didn't he have an ancestor that was like uh, uh, worked for President Garfield or something? He did. Uh, so his birthday is coming up in a few days, on September twenty-eighth, and he was his um, great grandfather, whom he was named after, was a congressman and then later a senator from Minnesota and then worked as the secretary of the treasury under two presidents and it's interesting that Bill's big acting break came came in the 1960s to play a Minnesota congressman on the tv show the farmer's daughter um yeah he he was an, an incredibly smart man even as a child he there's a famous story that went around where when he was in kindergarten, he drove the teacher crazy. And she said to, to get him out of her hair, she promoted him to the first grade. <laughs> wow. Well, I had a question when, when he was in France, he, he was at, um, he was in Biarritz, I think. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Biarritz. And, um, there's a quote by him. I found in an article where he said, um, you know, we had heard that actresses had round heels. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, to be to be gentle, it's another word for saying they were easy. Oh, so okay. That's uh, that's that, and that's why he decided to become an actor. He figured, well, you know, maybe I can get the. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I that, wow, I was really honestly thinking about the um the shape of the shoe. I'm like, oh, is there a difference between like a a, a stiletto versus a round heel? <laughs> He's quoted as saying he was most proud of his Richard III performance that he did there. Is that correct? Yes. So he so he had tried out for the play and it goofed around and they kicked him out of the audition. And he charmed his way into a second audition. And I believe he got a small role in the play. But when the actor who was in the lead had to go back to New York for another project, um, the role for Richard III was left open and Bill beat out, I believe, hundreds of other soldiers who were trying to get the role and then traveled through Europe for about three months doing the show. Wow. Wow. And he continued on in theater, correct? And when he came back to the States and continued at what basically until the 50s where he discovered television? Yes. Actually, he took a break when he married his first wife. Uh, things weren't going well, so he decided to ditch acting and become an insurance broker for his father-in-law. And he did that for three years and said, you know, the shirt and tie nine to five wasn't for him. And so he went back to the stage, did some TV in New York, and then went out to California. Wow. Wow. And what was his very first performance on TV? On TV, that was actually 1949 in New York. He was doing uh, Richard, I'm sorry, I apologize. He was doing Romeo and Juliet at the at Fordham University. And he, they, I guess they came to the producers and asked if they would be willing to do the show live um, for NBC. And 
Bill was actually doing Romeo at the time, but they had switched it and they put Kevin Kevin McCarthy, the actor. Oh, interesting. From the first Body Snatchers to be Romeo, and Bill played Tybalt, and that was in 1949. Wow, wow. So how long was he doing drama when he when he finally got back into it here before he jumped into TV? Oh, for several boy, several years, I want to say um, at least. You know, I don't know through the through the fifties, um, because he did a, he did a lot of the stage acting even up until I want to say nineteen sixty, and then once he started to live permanently in California, that's when you know his career started taking off. His first famous role um, in nineteen sixty two, the film To Kill a Mockingbird, as the prosecutor. Right, right. And what do you know about his experience on that set? So he he told a joke that um, the cast had to be very serious and let you know Mr. Peck, Mr. Gregory Peck, do his thing, let him concentrate. And you know Bill's sitting there, and the rest of the cast are sitting there in the courtroom, and Bill is bored, and he's you know chewing on a pencil and hanging his leg over the chair and pulling on his tie. And Gregory Peck turned to him and said, "Hey, Bill, what if I did this and pretended to put his hand on his chin and, and fall asleep?" And he sort of <laughs> Gregory Peck broke up the cast, and that was it. So I guess it was pretty lighthearted. That's amazing, especially for such a movie that's not very lighthearted. <laughs> exactly. That's great. So um, uh, was I know back then they sort of had this uh, stigma where, you know, movie actors kind of look down on TV actors, but he didn't seem to have a problem kind of sliding between the two. So, does he, did he ever talk about that? Yeah, you know, in his philosophy was, you know, I, you know, I don't, live, you know, I don't do the whole um, acting to live or live to act kind of attitude. He said he would do anything except a deodorant commercial, and he had done a few commercials <laughs> in the nineteen seventies. So, for him, it was fun, and he got paid to play and that was kind of his attitude it was a very playful very joking sort of um i guess you could call a little impish elfish kind of um personality love to play jokes love to not be serious that's awesome that's so cool such a great attitude to have too you know it's like he he seems like he was very appreciative simply to have a paycheck you know yeah, yeah. He used to joke about having, you know, to pay child support and alimony and stuff like that. So a paycheck was good. And, you know, he, again, he never really demanded that he wanted to star in something. He was just happy to act. Right. Right. And how many times was he married? He was married five times. Five times. Wow. That's more than what I thought. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. Five times and four children. But then his last marriage, though, lasted 37 years. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Wow. He, um, his wife, yeah, he had met his wife in 1974 and um, um, on the set of a TV movie he was doing. Hmm. Which movie? It was called, uh, the, it was a TV movie called The Day the Earth Moved. And it was about, it was, it was kind of odd premise, but it was about two helicopter pilots who have um, a camera, a special camera that, that they can take photos of the land below them. But when the photos develop, it shows the future, I guess. And it oh. showed 
that a fault line was about to open up in this small town. And so they have to convince the town to escape before it's too late. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and it's funny because that, that sounds very Twilight Zone-esque. And uh, well, I think it was him and Inger Stevens were both together in two Twilight Zone episodes, correct? Um, actually, they did separate ones. Bill did, uh, Inger did one about the hitchhiker and Bill did two separate ones. Um, five characters in search of an exit right. and miniatures. Okay, okay. I thought she was in that. Does he have any? Did he have any memories of those? Especially five characters in search of an exit. I I love that one. It's in my top, you know, top ten Twilight Zone favorites. Yeah, he told a funny joke about that. Um, so the the art department had to make these mask replicas of all the actors' heads for the the final shot in the episode. And I guess for his character, they made two of them. And the studio gave it to him to keep. And so he and a friend took these two heads and he, <laughs> for some reason, decided to play a joke, take a photo of himself lying on the ground with one of the heads stuck in his shirt so it looked like he was two-headed. And the <laughs> other head um, sticking out of his fly and <laughs> taking pictures. And he joked that it ended up on someone's Christmas card. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh, man. He was in a lot of shows um, just where he was just, he appeared multiple times, sometimes as different characters. Like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, I have my list here. It was like Hawaii Five-0, and um, there were so many of them. I'm looking for my list here. Oh, Mission Impossible, The Invaders, The Virginian, and of course, Murder, She Wrote. I got confused in my research, too, because on Murder, She Wrote, I thought he just played the doctor, but he also played the sheriff at first. Is that correct? It wasn't a sheriff. It was one of the characters in the season one episode where um, Jessica's investigating a murder and in a small town, I think, in Wyoming. And he played an attorney in the small town and was part of um, one, of the sus one of the suspects on the list. And then I guess the cast, uh, the crew rather, liked him so much. And one of their main characters was leaving the show. And I guess they asked him to come along and become the new member of Cabot Cove where Jessica lives. Oh, okay. Okay. And what, what did he say, if anything, about his experiences on uh, Murder, She Wrote? I, you know, I, you don't see too much of, what he, of, of him talking about Murder, She Wrote from what I've come across, but... You know, I he always seemed to, you know, um, had a lot of respect for Angela Lansbury, who had a lot of respect for her cast and crew members and made sure everyone was treated with respect and treated very well. And I just think he, he did a great job of taking the, the character of the doctor and kind of making it his own as, as time went on. Because in the beginning, he was sort of, I think, just playing around with it. And then as time went on, he created the sort of down Easter accent and that curmudgeon kind of attitude that made it sort of lovable. Right. That's great. And it's funny because that's, the, is that the show? I believe that's the show where he was on the most, correct? Yes. I think just under Angela Lansbury, he appeared, he was the the most regular character to appear on the show the most. Wow. Wow, that's funny. So I just wanted to jump back a little bit here and, and ask you about the 1970 show where he starred in uh, My World and Welcome to It. Can you tell us about that and maybe how that came about for him? So that was that's interesting. Actually, uh, uh, 
producer, uh, either the producer or director, Melville Shabelson, wanted to bring the show to life and attempted to do it twice in the 60s as an episode on two different TV shows where there was this character cartoonist who drew the Thurber characters and it just didn't seem to sell. But Shabelson didn't give up. He wanted to bring this again um, on television. So he tried in 1969. And the... Um, Sheldon Leonard was the producer who did a lot of great shows, the Dick Van Dyke show, Andy Griffith show. So he had, you know, a great knowledge of producing these terrific shows with a great cast. And he was doing a show that wasn't very popular called My Friend Tony, and Bill Wyndham was a guest star on it. And for some reason, I guess he was, Leonard re remembered him and the way he played in this particular episode and asked Bill to do My World and Welcome to It. And Bill just, I think, fell right into the character and made it work so well that he eventually traveled the country and to Europe and Hong Kong doing stage shows of it, one-man shows. Wow. And he won an Emmy for his performance on My World and Welcome to It, correct? Yes, he did. Uh, when he was... When he was in the running, you know, he joked that, you know, what actor wouldn't want to win the Emmy when asked, would you like to really win the Emmy? He, <laughs> he really wanted it. And then he won it and the show had been canceled. So he made a joke about that on the Emmys that, you know, he, he had a tuxedo, he wasn't a drinker and he was willing to travel. So he was asking for a job in his acceptance speech. <laughs> and he felt very, yeah, he felt very dejected because he had this award, but he had no job. And then years later, he said, you know, the award really meant nothing. And in fact, he used it as a doorstop for his dressing room at one point. Oh, geez. Oh, that's, yeah. that's too bad. I actually thought he was being funny when he, you said he was ask, asking for a job. That's too, that's too bad, you know, especially someone of his caliber. Um, you know, he really he really just holds his own. I mean, he is one of those, those character actors, those journeyman actors that you remember when you watch it, especially starring in his own show. And My World and Welcome to It was, was sort of innovative and ahead of its time, wasn't it? That, yeah, that's a lot. what a lot of people said because, you know, I think it, it, it wasn't the typical sitcom with the husband comes home from work and how was your day, dear? Right. You know, the wife asks him and the daughter has issues. The daughter was very, uh, I think, more mature for her age and could have these one-on-one -on -one conversations with her father. And the wife wasn't, you know, your typical housewife. And he broke the fourth wall when he would talk to the camera. So, yeah, it really was, I think. That's great. Yeah. And now he was also on uh, Star Trek, which is um, in one of the best episodes of uh, the Doomsday Machine, which is funny because when um, you and I had first talked about doing the show and I realized that he was he played Commodore Matt Decker in, in that episode, I have a CD with the soundtrack. It has this episode and a muck time. And this episode's music just has, since we started this, has been running through my head <laughs> constantly. <laughs> but w what was his experience like working on, on Star Trek? He was just waiting to get out of there and go play chess. Um, <laughs> he was a chess... He was a he was a chess nut and he would bring a, a chess set with him on the set in between takes. And, you know, he just said, you know, people would come up to and ask him and say, you know, what were you thinking when you were sitting in the, in the chair? Or he said, you know, I was just waiting for them to say, cut lunch, go eat and uh, go play chess. And that was it for him. He didn't realize what an impact it had 
until years later at the, he, he did attend some small Star Trek convention and people went up to him and then he sort of realized how much people loved that episode. He really appreciated that. Huh. That's interesting. It's very fascinating. And um, so was he aware that in Star Trek, the motion picture, which was, I think, 1978, uh, Stephen Collins played a character who was his character's son. Was William aware of this? Yes. Yes. He joked that he goes, I wish they would bring me back because the character in, in the ep- real ep- in the original episode died. And he said, too bad. I, I would have done the movie if they brought me back alive and stuff like that. So he kind of joked that he missed out on something. Oh, interesting. So he didn't really see it as he saw it sort of as a missed opportunity rather than being sort of honored. I think, well, you know, because he was such a jokester and he, he almost couldn't take a lot of the stuff he said seriously, I think <laughs> he wished that he did have the opportunity to act, but, you know, he didn't harbor any ill feelings. Interesting. Now, there's one show I saw, a Star Trek related, it's called Star Trek The New Voyages Phase 2, and it sort of rings a bell in the back of my head, but I'm not sure, but was he in that? Wasn't that a fan-made series? Yes, it was a fan-made series in the earlier part of the century um, with with a gentleman who uh, was a big big Star Trek fan and took and wrote several different episodes, and they, they recreated the entire uh, original Star Trek set in an, in a small, I think, used, it was a, a former um, car dealership. They built everything, I mean, down to the last nut and bolt. And wow. Bill recreated his role of Matt Decker for that episode. That's amazing. So so how how did he feel about that? Was he sort of happy that, you know, it, it kind of fulfilled that, that wish that he had, that he could have, you know, carried on with the character? Like, you know, like I said, one thing about Boo was he was very approachable. He wasn't the type that, you know, was very fussy with with doing a certain project. So, you know, he, I guess, got this request. And he, he'd been a, also in numerous student films. Students at, you know, USC hmm. asked him to appear in films. And he did them. So he was probably glad to do it. And I don't know, maybe bring sort of some closure to that character of Decker. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, too, what you said about the, the chess playing that, you know, all of us, you know, what, what, 40, 40, 50 years later, we're all like hanging on, you know, those Star Trek fans were all hanging on uh, every little scene from the show. And he was like thinking about chess. I love that. Because <laughs> I think for a lot of them, and especially, you know, um, even until recently, they're, they're just jobs. They weren't, people didn't really get into the mythology of a TV show probably until like, you know, uh, I would say like around Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Babylon 5 and maybe in the 90s, you know? Right, yeah. So um, he was also the president in uh, a cool film, The Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which I love the Planet of the Apes films. Um, How did he get the role of that and what memories did he have? I don't know if there was any specific reason as to how he got the role. I know that he joked that because, again, he was really not a serious guy. He literally loved to joke around like a little kid. And he would, you know, come home from work at night at the time when, when he was married to his fourth wife and he had his two daughters at home. And she would mention how he would come home, come through the door and get on the floor and play with the kids. And I guess because one day he was 
you know, spent so long doing the role as the president, he kind of came home and had almost um, this um, aura of authority because he was being called Mr. President on the set and things like that. <laughs> and she said, oh, will you stop and just go on the floor and play with the kids? And that snapped him out of it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so funny. You know, Jenna, he's been in so many things. Um, we could, you know, we could talk for hours about him. Are there any um, any funny stories about William that you want to share with the audience that we haven't talked about? Oh, God, you know, there was, there was so many, you know, stuff he either did on the set or stuff he did. Um, I think one odd one that he had told, and I'm assuming he was being serious about this, was there was one role he wanted in a movie in the late 50s, early 60s. And he told a group of acting students that he wanted it so badly that it was a it was a World War II picture. And he wrote a letter to the producer and he said he wrapped the note around an inert grenade and mailed it out in an envelope and didn't get any role in the film, but I think raised some eyebrows, especially with the secretary. <laughs> so I guess people, you know, if you act, if you're looking for a part, you know, don't send a letter wrapped around a fake grenade. Right. It's probably not going to do you any good. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh man. So is there a target date for releasing your documentaries? Um, not yet. I'm still doing some pre-production work on it and trying to land some more interviews for the for the specific. Uh, segments. Cool, cool. I noticed a, a lot of your information on your website came from interviews also. Who who have you been interviewing, uh, if you could tell us uh, about William's life? So, so far I've interviewed uh, actor, former child actor Mickey Shoulder, who played his son in The Farmer's Daughter, his oldest son, Glenn, Moore, um, Glenn Morley's son, Stephen, in the show. And Mickey had um, somewhat of a, a successful career as a child actor. And then I also spoke with actress Rosemary Forsythe, who appeared in the TV show pilot, Is There a Doctor in the House with him? That was a pilot show for 1971 that also co-starred Margaret Hamilton and unfortunately never sold. Hmm. So I spoke with them and they shared some great memories. That's great. That's great. Good for you. This is awesome. It's, it seems like such an undertaking, but it, it's just so worth it. You know, we love these kind of character actors on the show here. We love talking about them. And I'm so glad you came on the show. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and sharing this with us. Will, will you come back when you're premiering the, uh, the documentaries? Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. Excellent. No problem. Thank you. So, Chris, once again, I apologize that the scheduling didn't work out. Um, but what did you think of the discussion about William Wyndham? Well, that was really cool. I mean, and I can't say I was very familiar with him, so it was nice to, like, uh, you know, hear, I, I guess, uh, someone who's a fan uh, of him and also um, dedicate pieces of work to him. I mean, for example, uh, so first of all, I thought it was really cool that she was a producer both in Boston and as well as Rhode Island you know us being from New England I was like oh that that's that's really neat I because I, I had never heard of her uh so yeah. I mean now I'm personally curious to check out more about that I mean and some of the stories were great like I love the story um 
I, I love the story she told about the uh, uh, the saying that he had about about girls being easy with like with like the shoe. I, I, the round shoe. The round shoe. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that, that. I never heard. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never heard of it either. I, I must have sounded so naive on the show. Yeah. Like, and she explained it. She was like, "Oh no, it, it meant that women were easy." And I'm like, "Oh, oh. okay." <laughs> Oh man, yeah, and he was um, uh, uh, Commodore Decker on the Star Trek episode. Um, the jeez, oh, I said the name in the interview, but I forgot now what it was. It was the uh, Doomsday Machine. That's the one. Ah, and whose char- the character is the father of Stephen Collins's character in the original Star Trek the motion picture film. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. How he was kind of part of the Star Trek universe and kind of wished. He, you know, they were able to bring him back. He, he just sounded like a very down to earth kind of guy. Yeah. That he just acted because he loved it. He didn't care if he was going to be a star. He didn't care if he made a ton of money. Yeah. You know, so you gotta love stuff like that. Oh yeah, for sure. And well, it's also a testament to that when, when uh, you know, when 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 he wins the Emmy and a show is canceled. Uh, I think was that the story, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So hearing that story, and uh, you know how how he didn't really care about the award. He's wanted to work. Yeah, and it's it's gotta it's gotta really sort of uh, be bittersweet winning yeah. the award, and then your show is canceled. You know. Right. Yeah. And I think she even said that uh, he didn't have anything lined up, obviously, because he was yeah. doing the show. So. Yeah. He was kind of like his his thank you speech was like pitching himself to try and get Just hired to get work. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So folks, yeah, we hope you enjoyed that interview and and please check out see if you can find stuff that he's been in. He's he's just so good and. Uh, you know, we'll we'll keep you posted when the documentaries come out, and we'll have her back on the show, Jenna. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed learning about the amazing character actor William Wyndham. Don't forget to check out the tribute site at williamwyndham.com. Please help support this show by visiting our website and clicking on the Tee Public and Patreon links at havenpodcasts.com. And you're definitely going to want to join our Patreon page because there you'll be able to get our exclusive filmmaker series, which is not available to the general public. You can listen to our show at our website where you'll also find other fun stuff, including our sister show, the East Beast of West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. Then as now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please visit thedorkening.com and check out all the other cool shows there. You can send us your feedback at thenisnow42 at gmail.com, and you can join the community at Facebook and talk pop culture with other like-minded people. Just go to Facebook and search for Then Is Now Podcast page and group. And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so please visit us there at youtube.com slash user slash death one And please hit the subscribe button along with that little tiny bell so you'll get notifications whenever we post a new video. Then Is Now Podcast is available on all the podcasting apps, so if you like what you're hearing, please go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review. That way, you know, the more reviews we get, the more likely they'll put us in the recommended list and more people will find us. That's all for today. Class dismissed. Then
Madness Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.